Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Match Play. In this episode, Justin Chesham of Christopher Newport University Men's Soccer and I welcome Matt Lacey. Matt is the Technical Director of the Virginia Development Academy, or VDA, one of the top programs in Northern Virginia and the East Coast. VDA is part of the prestigious Elite Clubs National League, or ECNL, which is considered one of the top youth leagues in the country. It was great to have Matt and his insights on the podcast. Please enjoy. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with the production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. Hey, uh, Matt, um, were you with, were you ever with PWSI or was it just VDA or what? Just v- VDA. Gotcha. You were with, uh, it was VSA though, when yeah, you guys merged. So in 2015, we created VDA. So I came right. into PSA in 2014. Uh, and me and Mike Colliner, we co-founded VDA in 2015 right. between the two clubs. And then obviously gotcha. over the over the last eight years, I've had numerous roles from coaching, boys director, to technical director of both programs, to probably more of a, an advisor now for, for Mikey and Matt, who are obviously our ECNL directors. So, yeah, yeah it's uh, been a long eight years, but a good, good eight years too. <laughs> yeah, I grew up I grew up in that club. I was a PWSI kid. That was obviously long before VDA was a thing. Um, no academies or anything. Everybody played high school soccer and Soccer was a lot different in the 90s up there. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's cool to go up there and still see Howison and how much yeah. that's grown and developed. And, you know, I was a Hilton High School kid. So it's uh, – I tell people – because we did – we had that scrimmage with Hammond Sydney at Howison. And, um, you know, it's always a cool thing. And, you know, I like to tell the story how that, my first ever job was at Howison. So I was with uh, me and uh, my, my, my club teammate, Reese Foster Simeon. You know, everybody knows Ed. And um, – we were watering those fields and they were all grass at the time. Not the best grass, you know, we'll call it okay. You know, it wasn't, I think Chin and Tyrell, those were probably the best fields back then. Yeah. Uh, nice grass. I think Bermuda, I don't know. Um, but the grass at Allison was not very good. And we had to hook up these huge pipes. I mean, massive pipes. And I think we had maybe two rows of them. And then the pipes had these inserts for sprinklers and then you had to connect it to the, the fire hydrant. And we turn it on and let it run for like 20 minutes and then turn it off and have to move these big pipes that are now filled with water. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure my first paycheck came in. It was like 16 bucks or something like that. <laughs> I think I was getting like a two. Huh? And my dad was on the board at PWSI at the time. And I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm young. I don't really know labor laws, child labor laws yet, but uh, I'm pretty sure something's going on here, man. So uh <laughs> I'm glad you have turf. It's beautiful turf. It's awesome now. You don't have to water those fields. But, uh, yeah, I, I miss being up there. It's fun times. Good club. And it's cool to see VDA growing and yeah. turn it into such an awesome uh, awesome part of the uh, awesome part of the state. It's, uh, Harrison, I mean, they've got some great plans for Harrison as well. Mm-hmm. The, the county, they had a bond referendum. So 
Harrison, Helwig, that side of the county ended up getting a good investment. So I think Stadium feels on its way. Uh, I don't know if you've been to Long Park, but Long Park has changing rooms, uh, obviously like an office space. That's going to be basically replicated at Harrison too. So yeah. it's, it's going to be a phenomenal facility for, for development. So yeah, we're really excited. Is there any way you can move those two facilities closer to each other? Because uh, that is... I mean, I'm trying to, me and Quad are working on getting something right between. Yes. Well, the goal, but it costs a lot of money in Northern Virginia. So oh, yeah. We're going to find a way, though. There's a way somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's that's tough when you go up to your showcase and uh, you're like, oh, I want to go watch this other game. You're like, oh, it's it's at the other facility. Yeah. I mean, that's that could be an hour. You know, you never know. So it's One of the unique things in Prince William County with the with working with parks and rec is that we have some great facilities, but all of them, they're not, none of them are connected. So right. again, even like, if you look on that side of the camera, you've got Harrison and then you've got to go, what is it? Two, two, well, I don't know. It always feels like an hour, but it's probably only 30 minutes, but they get to Ali Krieger park, right? Right. That was a good old drive. And on the other side, obviously long park and cat harp in that, it would just put, put in on this side. Right. It's still a bit of a distance. So, well, Prince William County itself is huge. I mean, it's such yeah. a big spot yeah. of land. And, uh, I mean, you're talking 95 and 1 and 20. I mean, all these big roads that are, you know, intersecting through it. And so, you yeah. know, it's definitely not easy. And there's a lot of people up there. I try not to visit my mom too much. She lives in Stafford now. She's not – we were living, uh, you know, right around the corner from Forest Park High School. And she moved a little further south to Stafford. But that's just as crazy now. It's just as, just as busy up there. Yes, it's a, it's a different world. I was in Richmond originally before I came up here, so mm. I've had to get used to a different pace of life, and uh, it's, it's crazy up here. But I, I love that part of it, actually. It's uh, super yeah. competitive, and uh, a lot of good players as well that are in this area. So it's, it's uh, with all the craziness, it does make for a great development <laughs> platform. Absolutely. So we, we enjoy it. We all enjoy it up here. No, no doubt. So Matt, you started VDA eight years ago. Um, so kind of back into you know how you, um, what your kind of coming up story is, and like obviously you're you're uh, you're not native to Virginia. You uh, came from somewhere else, and um, so talk about how you ended up over here. You know your your youth career, and and then how you ended up over here. So I grew up. Uh, in the northwest of England originally, so I actually, I was my whole life was in academies. So I started Crew Alexander Academy. They were League Two, League One yo-yo team, and then at twelve, my dad moved, so I ended up moving to Norwich City. I was within their academy set up until the age of nineteen. Made a few appearances for their reserve team, uh, and then also got released, and I had kind of like this year of figuring out what I was going to do. So I was playing uh, for a club called Kings Lynn. I think that might be Conference South now. So it's relatively a good level of football. But obviously, being an 18, 19-year-old playing men's football, it's, it's an inter interesting experience. So I, I was fortunate enough uh, to... My friend really wanted to come to America and a guy called Chris Wally. Obviously, I know he's in... in <laughs> yeah, everyone knows Chris Wally, right? He's at you on now. He was watching him and he, him and his dad were watching and they're like, hey, do you want to come to America? So I literally just kind of trusted Wally 
he told me I was moving to Charlotte and I ended up in Banner Out, North Carolina for at Leeds McRae for two years. Uh, so I played two years at Leeds McRae and then I'd, I'd always done USL, PDL. Uh, this is kind of my Virginia connection. I was, I was played for Richmond Kickers, uh, PDL, and obviously played with a lot of Division One players. So uh, I was originally meant to be going to Carlton and then there were some, some issues that occurred. Uh, so I ended up going to Winthrop. Because Phil Hinson, uh, he uh, he basically was the assistant coach. I think he was made the head coach at Clemson. He said, oh, look, probably a good fit for you to go somewhere else at this point. So I ended up going to Winthrop uh, with a guy called Rich Posobanco, called him the gaffer. <laughs> Went there for two years. And then I'd had everything set up to play for Richmond Kickers, come back, play for the pro team with, with Lee. And unfortunately, I had a, a knee injury right at the end of my college season and I had surgery they said the good news is you haven't told your ACL but you've done like a, it was a cartilage injury and uh, ended up being out for two years so in that two years just started coaching for Chesterfield United uh, I tried to come back and play for Richmond Kickers uh, about 2012 but at that point I uh, had a daughter and obviously had a career with, with uh, Chesterfield did that for Another two years, and then VSA in 2014 uh, reached out to me and said, "Would you be interested in coming being our techno director?" And at the time, again, I really wasn't that interested in it. I was quite happy in Richmond, and drove up one day, and obviously you see the facilities that you know VSA had. Obviously, the club was not a good club at the time; it was they were struggling. I just felt it'd be a good challenge to, to be in that area, so. I went up there and honestly, within a week of being at VSA, Mike Culliner, he uh, said, hey, do you want to meet for a coffee in Richmond? I was still living in Richmond and commuting. And he just started talking about this idea of, you know, Prince William County being connected and uh, what do we feel, what, what do I feel about the Development Academy at the time? So I did about six months of kind of going in and out of PwSI with their academy. I travelled to a few showcases with him and then just decided, look, I think this would be a great thing, not only for VSA, uh, Prince William County, but also just for myself. Selfishly at the time, it was like, okay, it's a great way to be exposed to a higher level of youth football. So uh, that's really how it started, VDA, and, and it obviously gave me, a, also accelerated my career in youth development. Uh, cause obviously, you went from a Chester United coach against BHFC's B teams so now coaching against DC and I in New York Red Bulls. And, uh, so we had kind of like a two-year period where it was just, I would say it's chaos. So I'm building VSA and VDA at the same time. Uh, so I was the boys' academy director, coached teams for VDA. And, you know, our environment at the time was very, I think we spoke to Joe, right? It was very kind of like cutthroat because... In them days, we had three teams to get the next age group. We got to make sure that that oldest age group were winning. So that's how we ended up with a club is by winning a lot of games at youth level and maybe prioritising a little bit too much at times. Obviously, you live and learn. Uh, but yeah, the, the basically, we, we kept doing well, ended up with the full DA boys pathway, 13s through 19s. And then, obviously, we were like, oh, we need a girls' programme. <laughs> so the DA came out with a girls' programme. Luckily, we were able to get into that. After a year in that, we decided Chanel was going to be a better fit for us. 
moved to Easton Hour with the girls. And then obviously we had like a two year period just before COVID where we kind of like settling into everything, uh, getting our processes, our player development plans down. And then obviously the DA folded, COVID happened. So we kind of like restarted again, I want to say. COVID was good for us as a club. We kind of figured out our level, figured out the right staff. Uh, and obviously now we're, we're in a really good position with our girls. Just got top 25 in the country for ECNL. Uh, the boys finished in the top 50. Uh, so, again, we're, we're really proud of the work, specifically Matt Rowe does with the boys, as our boys ECNL director and Mikey Welsh uh, with the girls. So, yeah, that, that's kind of where we've got to now and where I am with the programme. Like I said, my role technically is technical director, but honestly, you know, them guys, I'm just supporting them and, helping them and advise them and then go to games and provide feedback to help them continue to improve and uh, whatever they need me, I'll, I'll help. But, you know, we've got phenomenal staff doing a, a great job. I wasn't expecting a, a Chris Wally reference, you know, 9.30 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, Most of my Chris Wally stories can't be uh, online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a legend. He's a legend around here. You know, yeah. he's the Lions Bridge they play on campus here. I coached DC United's under 23s in the summer. So Wally invited us up for a game. And uh, it was really kind of a surreal experience standing alongside him coaching. Yeah. I always joke with these guys. And I stepped into your world just for two, three months in the summer uh, with obviously these college level players. So it was a great, great experience. We love doing it. But just him, he has not changed one bit. Absolutely <laughs> madman. Uh, his enthusiasm for football winning uh, is, is 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 no different. And what I say with Wally is just when I played for him, I mean, me and him, you know, butted heads all the time. Just type of very similar probably personality in terms of like winning. Yeah. But we always had that in common. So, you know, again, just I don't want to make this about Chris Wally, but I mean, without him, I wouldn't be here, you know. Yeah. He, he really gave me the opportunity. And it was nice to finally really give him, to be with him in an environment and then obviously say thank you because yeah. you know, he was he's been a big part of my life so yeah Mad man though <laughs> yeah, he's a he's the legend around here they love him you know got to the, the national championship game this year fell short but uh uh i'll tell you what the, they do a good job those lions bridge games are fun uh, i want to say the three four thousand people at this yeah. It was it was great, and just you could see the environment as you come in. I brought my little boy with me for the game, and uh, he was just amazed by mm. all the things that were going on. And uh, yeah, they, uh, a great thing for that community. So, oh yeah, no, they do a great job. No, it's an awesome, awesome thing. I love going to the games. Yeah. Um, so Matt, uh, obviously, there's been some transition from you know having a development academy to you know, I guess the higher levels went to MLS next. I kind of lost track of, of the timeline, but, you know, now everything, the higher level kids are playing ECNL. Um, you know, maybe talk about that transition and, you know, how you kind of had to follow the ever, you know, evolving world of youth soccer and, and um, how you address that as a club. Oh, well, I would say, obviously, it happened so quickly, right? So covid happened like literally whatever that date was march i say it was march 15th march 20th the da's folding right so you're dealing with 
trying to keep your club afloat and then you're trying to deal with what league you need to be in. So at the time, I would say in a unique way, all the clubs in North Carolina and South Carolina and the DA decided to uh, kind of stick together. There was obviously a lot of conversations going on. You know, I didn't specifically know there was going to be an MLS next. Uh, but we decided, look, we can keep these core clubs together. Obviously, ourselves, Richmond United, Arlington, Loudoun, uh, NCFC, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Independence, <laughs> NC Fusion. It didn't really matter what the league was, right? So right. The, the league we are in was irrelevant. We just knew we had good competition. Uh, again, obviously, we, I think for us and our staff, it was kind of, okay, we, you, you feel that you need to be playing MLS teams, right? In, in terms of, it, it's a, it's a, encourages players maybe to want to play for you more. And, you know, it's uh, maybe a carrot for them. But I want to say, over time, and I had this conversation at an ECNL meeting uh, recently with their leadership, has has been the best thing that ever happened to BDO. Because what we did is stop stop worrying about really. I'm trying to put this in the best way. <laughs> worrying about competing with in a league that we're not in. Uh, we just worry about making the players that we have better. So our environment uh, has improved. Our culture has improved, which has rich really increased our levels of retention and increased people wanting to come and be part of what we're doing. And that has nothing to do with the league. The league is irrelevant. Now, what does ECNL provide? It provides, provides a real platform for the players. So the reality uh, is, obviously we're talking about the 1% of VSA and Peter beside with VDA. And out of that 1%, you know, maybe 0.001% may be a professional. So the platform for them kids are to go and play college. So DCNL, I feel, provides the best platform for them players in terms of their showcases, uh, the national selection program. Uh, so it was the best thing that happened. I don't know if we deliberately thought that was going to play out that way, uh, but the transition has just made us better in general with everything that we do. And again, obviously development is our number one priority. If we have the right development platform from the ages of nine through 19, uh, we will develop players to go on and play at a college level. And again, we have three or four players who are playing professionally who come through the club. Uh, but we, we, we're just as proud as a player committing to, as you say, the lowest level of college soccer is, is the highest level because it's a hard journey for them. And again, now we focus on their individual journey versus honestly worrying about can we beat New York Red Bulls at the weekend? Which again sounds crazy, right? When you think about it, but that's what we were living in that world. Going, okay, well we've we've got to beat New York Red Bulls. Well, not really. We need to make sure we develop players that can go on and progress at the next level. So now, obviously, it's very development focused. You know, I don't want to be uh, naive to say, look, we want to win every game that we play. And the objective of playing football is to win, uh, but at the same time, we we have a responsibility to get players to the next level um, and again, especially Matt on the boys, I would take that very, very serious uh, and obviously periodization, curriculums, uh, monitoring, match analysis, supporting them with the college process. We spend way more time on that than we did in the past. Uh, so again, it's been the best thing that happened to us. Uh, obviously, the girls have that platform already. I think it's just 
transition to it. I think the ECNL each year is just getting better uh, in terms of the clubs that are coming back uh, and the clubs that are already in it are obviously seeing a value in obviously that platform. Uh, so yeah, overall transition, uh, probably the best thing that happened to VDA uh, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I hope the transition, <clears throat> I, I love it by the way. I love what you guys have done and uh, I, I hope that it, stays for a while it seemed like for a long time there was a bunch of jumping you know i when i played we were in csl yeah and then they joined with the ccl and da became a thing and now ecnl and then this mls next thing pops up almost as soon as the ecnl like oh it seems like this is awesome let's go with this it's been great then all of a sudden there's mls next and now there's a lot of people like oh do we need to make that change and i, I love what you just said I, I i wish that everybody just kind of get together like hey Here's 20 awesome clubs. Let's make sure we're all talking to each other. We're all in the Mid-Atlantic region. Let's let's just make sure we're all in the same league. Is this are we all happy here? Cool. Let's just stay right here. I'll tell you as a college coach, that makes it a ton easier for me when it comes to recruiting and finding the best talent. So I I love it. I hope you guys stay for a long time. I hope they all stay for a long time. It's been it's been fun to watch. The level's been good. And uh and I'll tell you that the VDA kids that we've brought in have always been ready. You know, they've always transition to the you know the difference of the college game rather quickly and uh you know so we're definitely appreciative of that you, you guys have great coaches you know i joe seuss was my coach actually uh growing up and uh you know now i i golf and have some beers with him and we tell different stories so uh a lot different than when he was coaching me but um you know it's a lot of great guys that are up there and i think that overwhelmingly this is the biggest difference i've noticed in soccer from when i was playing in the 90s to when it is now he went to a few good coaches in the 90s but I feel like there's so many good coaches now. There's so many guys that grew up playing at a pretty high level, even if they didn't have the best coaching that are now becoming coaches themselves. And there's just a lot of options for coaches, especially up in Northern Virginia. It's a nice saturated area and a lot of talent. And so uh, it's, it's been fun to watch, you know, you guys have been good. How, how has the season started for you guys? You know, a few games in and. Yeah. yeah I mean, we had, obviously everyone canceled the past weekend, which was a bit bizarre. So we didn't have games. <laughs> On mm. Saturday, but again, I didn't make that decision. But <laughs> we started. We, we we had two local games, so uh, on the boys Fairfax and it was um, McLeod Union. Okay, and they're good good starts. So obviously, I would say this in our area. You know, it doesn't matter how good bad these teams can be, right? It's a local derby, so yep. everyone. Maybe not the staff, but the, the players, they probably don't like each other. They want to win and there's some, you know, local pride within them games. So, you know, them games are just brilliant from a development standpoint, right? Because you've got to go out and compete. And if you're not on it, you'll get punished. Now, again, there may be teams that will go and play uh, in North Carolina that might might not be, might be the same level, maybe not very good or, or whatever. Uh, but there's just not the same, like, I want to say nastiness or aggression, right? Uh, desire uh, for for them games. So again, it's it's a really unique thing for us in this area because you're playing four, four or five local derbies in league games. So you know, could, could go either way in, in a lot of games. So you know, they're 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 exciting. And again, that's something you talk about transition. You know, we went from playing only Arlington and Loudon to now we're playing you know four or five teams locally. Uh, which makes them games super, super competitive. And oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, started well. 
for Joe. Joe's now like our senior coach. He's an assistant. Uh, yeah. He's a phenomenal guy. I mean, me and Joe and, and Quan as well. We drove up and down the East Coast building BBA games. And Joe has a job here for life. Uh, whatever yeah. he wants, uh, he has it. Supports everything we're doing uh, through thick and thin. And can, you can't go wrong when you've got good people. And, uh, right. Joe, Joe, Matt. Mike, Mikey, and uh, Elvin on the boys' side. Just great, great group of coaches to, to work with. And, and they, they do a phenomenal job with the players. Well, that's definitely the uh, that's definitely true what you're talking about with the competition. You know, one of the things, just to kind of jump into recruiting here, when I go to a showcase, you know, one of the things I've noticed is uh, it's not a super – I don't know how to phrase this, but there's not there's nothing on the line other than the showcase. Like, yeah, of course, the boys want to win. We're all pretty competitive, but there's a huge difference for me watching VDA play, you know, Minnesota versus VDA playing Loudon. You know, yeah. like I, you go to that VDA Loudon game. There's crossover. Some of those kids go to the same high school. You yeah. know, especially the older kids. Maybe some of them are already committed to rival colleges, and you can just tell there's there's something else there. It's something else. I mean, I love going to the one-off games. You know, I, I think you play beach soon. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to go down there. You know, it's a good good age group, uh, the oldest ones at least. Um, you know, so, like, there's something there. You know, it's the in-state team. You know, Richmond and the oldest age group won the national title. I bet you cannot wait to see those guys. And I want to watch you play them because there's something more on the line than just a bunch of college coaches, you know, scouting you out and you're at a showcase. And, you know, there's just more to it. You know, it's one of the best parts about – recruiting when uh when i was early in my career the state cup was incredible you know the state cup was something fun i mean people got after i, I think matt you might have been there i remember looking one year and there was a pwsi team i think in every bracket i know on the girls side for sure and um yeah it's I, I prefer those games i love those games i wish there were more events where there was something on the line more than just a showcase you know a trophy something there that you can go play for Definitely, yeah. you can tell a difference in those games and versus just a, a, a normal showcase event. Yeah, and again, obviously, you asked me a question about the transition, right? Obviously, we're preparing the kids for college now, right? And, you know, and I'm not saying that we weren't. I just think the focus was developing more. Okay, we've got to get kids to the professional level, right? So now we're coming to ECNL and we're focusing on ourselves. And then games become more college-like as well. Is it, The style of play becomes slightly different. You know, within our state, you know, the boys are learning to adjust and adapt to different teams. It's obviously the expectation within the league table, especially, you know, as soon as you get to 16, 17, 19, we're playing to win. We want to win the league. Uh, we want to qualify for the national event. So, them games are very, very meaningful. We, in, in the DA, we didn't really have that because in our conference was New York Red Bulls, New York City, <laughs> DC United, uh, Philadelphia Union. You're not going to make the playoffs. There's five spots. So them games were, we said they were meaningful, but no, these games are really meaningful. And again, we want to make sure that our training environment is connected to the game, to the weekend, which is what you guys are doing, right? You're, you're, that's your day-to-day -day with college, right? You're preparing your players to win a game at the weekend. So again, with 16, 17, 19s, we're already getting them into that mindset that, okay, well, we've got to work hard, obviously, a given, but we've got to prepare to play against this. And this is what you're going to come up against. And, you know, we're going to make sure that we're ready uh, for these games. And again, you just mentioned them 
three games, Beach, Richmond United, VDA, I would say they'll be top top three, four in that under-19 conference at 06. Sure. Uh, I think there's only two spots to make the, the playoffs. So that's going to be, they're going to be some games. And our 06, is a, they, they were a little bit unlucky last year not to make the playoffs. That's a very strong group. So, you know, them games where everyone gets excited for, for them. So, yeah, and again, like I said, what a great platform for these kids when it comes to college. You know, if they're playing big games that actually mean something. Yeah. Yeah, on. so go ahead, Cheese. No, Sorry. it's agreeing. Spot on. Um, so, Matt, like, what's kind of your, your, th- your guys' process in – you know, intentionally developing kids for, you know, kind of a, on a, not a day-to-day, but, you know, an overarching theme of how you're developing kids and what mindset you're creating within them. And, um, you know, what, what's your focus through the week and, and that sort of thing? I mean, from a philosophical standpoint, it starts with character, right? So we go with, we have a club DNA, outwork, outcompete, outplay. So we start with that, and that starts at six, seven. So if you come to PWSI, VSA, and this is where we work really closely in zone one, I would say this is where mine and Quan's role has really adjusted. We've, we're spending a lot of time between the ages of under nine to under 12. You know, training, if you come to watch a training session, I mean, it's ruthless. You know, young kids flying the tackles anyway, and then we're encouraging that. It's, it's chaos, chaos. It's organised chaos. So again, we're encouraging players to work, compete, fight. Then we, we've gone maybe back in time in the sense of saying, what, what are values we want our kids to be at 19? Well, we want them to compete. We want them to be able to mentally be able to win running, like, which is such a small one. But how many kids have got a college and they can't deal with the physical element of it, the athletic element? So we're, we're adding that into training. So if you went and watch a 9, 10, 11, 12, you're going to see heavy focus on technical you're going to see a heavy focus on 1v1 2v2 uh, and you're going to see a heavy focus on competing and again and at the end of training US soccer may not like it uh, you know the I don't know I don't know I said it's the best way people who are very philosophical on development you know we, we're doing things to push them so okay can you keep competing uh, young age groups so the goal is by the time they get to under 13 technically their sound character, they can compete uh, and they understand the game from a decision-making standpoint. So that's why 1v1, 2v2 is so important. So they're making decision-making decisions constantly. Uh, obviously, we teach the game under 9 for under 12s within the game. So obviously, we have a, a lot of game, game fixtures. We try to increase as many games that we can play to overload them. So we teach pressing, building, in, in the game moment versus taking time out of training with developing the individual at that age group. When they get to 13 and 14, and again, unique with us, VDA, PWSI, VSA, and the kids every Monday train together. So already they know at 11 and 12, they're competing with someone to get into that 18, you know, number, you know, 18 player roster. So when Matt gets them 13, 14, they got a four nights a week. Two nights are dedicated to developing the individual. So Monday, Tuesday, uh, we we have three focuses, dominate 1v1, possession, pressing activities and transition activities. So 
you know, we'll do station-based work. So every player works with every coach within the club. Uh, so they'll Mondays because it's more recovery because of our games at the weekend, more of a technical focus. Tuesday we call compete night. They they're there doing these three stations, and again, the level is high and intensive. And then Wednesday, Thursday uh, is team orientated, so preparing for the game. Obviously, they have a six-week cycle that they prepare. So we hit building, creating, finishing, pressing, recovery, defending the box. Um, topics will be done over a six-week cycle, re- re- reassess it every six weeks as a group, plan another six weeks. Uh, so that's our kind of micro-cycle for the week. Uh, but uh, as you get older, 16, 17, 19, obviously the, the focus is the game at the weekend. So 13, 14, 15, the focus is preparing them in terms of different formations, different building patterns, different pressing. 16, 17, 19, you know, Matt, Rowe coaches the major groups, they're watching the opponent, they're doing match analysis on the opponent, and then obviously they're preparing for the weekend, uh, for the game. So, again, they're kind of our three stages. So you've got this high, highly focused zone one, uh, where it's technique, decision-making, competing, 13 through 15, still focusing on developing the individual, but now we're starting to introduce bigger team tactics. 16 through 19s, can we win on Saturday? And that's similar on the boys' and girls' side. And that's my job, really, making sure that happens. I love the idea of that competition day. I bet you I bet you they get pretty fired up for that. I mean, is it mostly just game-related activities? I mean, is that a... So basically what I did, I have three activities. One will be look most like the game, right? So whether that's an attack attack versus defense activity. But right. then you'll have like a 3v3 flying changes activity. You'll have a 2v2 game going on. And I mean, again, the kids, especially on the boys' side, I mean, they're... It's ruthless at times, but we encourage that. And again, that's another part of our job, educating the parents, right? Is when you come to training, you might get kicked. Yeah. You might you might, you might, might end up uh, in some type of confrontation, right? Because it, it has to be, it's a fine line, right? You know, teaching these kids at level. Here's one thing I will say, since we've got an ECNL and, and we've got more connected with the colleges, and I talked about the running side is, you know, we want to spend as much time with these kids, teaching them how to be better soccer players, technical decision-making within the team framework. But the reality of their environment is they're going to go into a college program and they're going to be tested uh, on certain fitness tests. So again, we, we've added that to what we do. Uh, we've, we've adjusted. I would say most of our fitness in the DA was based around within the game. Uh, again, we spend a lot of time pushing the kids in football fitness, but again, we'll do things outside it now uh, to, to prepare them for what the environment they're going to get into. And again, you can't just start preparing six months before. We've got to prepare 10 years in advance for what, what's coming if we're doing a real job. So, you know, hopefully our kids will come into your environment, they're resilient, they show character, they don't give up. Uh, but that's the best we can teach them. So, yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about how do we, we we add that into what we're doing and not take away from the football as well. That's uh, one thing I've noticed, um, you know, you mentioned Matt Rao earlier, played and coached at the college level. Um, yep. 
it's it's interesting. I was on the phone with actually one of your boys. I think it's about two months ago now, and um, we were talking about the defensive side of the game going to college, and the way he described how you guys train is the way that we want it done when they get here. And um, you know, I talk to college coaches pretty frequently. Obviously, the biggest difference once you get to college is just the speed of play, the amount of pressure under. I mean, you're, some of these boys are going to be playing against twenty three year old men. You know, yeah. some international kids that just miss going pro, you know, at the highest levels or, you know, it's a whole different world than an ECNL game, even at the best ECNL levels. It's just different. 23 year old, almost yeah. going pro men. So it's different. But one of the biggest things that um, I really appreciated what your boy was saying, I won't mention his name, but is the defensive, re, you know, responsibilities that you have put on the boys. Cause yeah. I have noticed that most of the kids when they're freshmen, I have to, not teach them how to play defense. They have the foundations. They have the understanding, the fundamentals, but the, the, the desire, the necessity to get in tighter and to force them in certain directions, you don't see that as much when you're watching club games. It's usually a much more open game, a much less pressure game. And the way that your boy described it in your training sessions, and I, I've even seen it with that, that 06 group, is you, you teach it the way that we want to teach it at the college level. It's a different game and it's a, it's it's a it's refreshing and you know a lot of us college coaches were we know that when we get a freshman we're going to have to show like this is how you have to defend at this level it's different than what you've been doing and other than the pressure i'd say that's probably number two for us of things that kids have to adjust to so you know i i don't want to jump too much into tactics i'd love to get some recruiting thoughts in here but really what are you guys teaching defensively to you know encourage these kids and why is it it's it's helpful it's it's doing well when they get they finally get to us so I mentioned it earlier, right? So we have these like three phases that we're, or three focuses that we're for the developing the individual. So dominate 1v1, right? That is as simple as learn how to defend 1v1, right? Mm -hmm. So we take it from there. And then obviously, I think, and this again, you talk about transitions for us, learning how to be better. ECNL is a lot more direct than what we were used to with uh, the DA. You know, we played a lot of teams that would build, a lot of teams that are trying to play through you. Right. We're playing in ECNL, we're defending crosses, we're defending corners, we're defending longer balls. So what we work on is what I like to call it emergency defending, so defending the box. So Matt, Matt's, Matt's really good at this, actually, and probably because he's the defender, right? We have a lot of activities where again, it, you're playing 7v7, 8v8, but then quickly we're doing a set piece, right? There's a set piece thrown in. We're doing a lot of... I like call it two-phase defending, right, where you're defending a set piece and then you're defending another ball coming in straight away. Uh, so we're not, with these older kids specifically, we're helping them understand their roles and responsibilities in set pieces, uh, delivery from wide areas, uh, but then just taking it as simple as how to defend in the back four, who steps, who sets the line. Uh, so... Again, that's where Matt does a good job creatively thinking, okay, how do I do that? I've got a whole year with these kids. I can't, I can't do the same activity every time because I'm going to lose them. So, you know, Monday, Tuesday nights, because it is focusing on developing the individual, really creative on how we teach that. But, yeah, they, you know, the, like I said, you, I think one of the things, and then you might notice better than me, I feel like kids, they don't know how to defend in the box, right? They don't know how to defend crosses. They don't know how to defend in the recovery phase. So yeah, we, we put time and effort into that. But again, I, I go back to it. I think defending, you got to have character. So mm -hmm. if you don't have character, it doesn't matter how much you teach them. 
eventually they're going to let you down because they can't focus for the whole period that you need to to actually be successful. So then when we're talking about what we're doing in the younger age groups, I mean, we're talking about slide tackles, smashing kids, whatever we need to do to change the mindset. So when Matt gets them at 13, he's building on the, the football side and not just having to teach character to compete. So, again, I can't I, I straight talk about that a lot, but it's a big thing for us is, again, if we're going to develop our own players at VDA, we don't really want to be a recruitment club. We've got to be doing a phenomenal job between the ages of nine through 14. So Matt Rowe, when he gets them, who's a ter- terrific coach, can help them progress to college. I've been in a very good team. So, yeah. I, I, Matt, specifically, he enjoys coaching defending, right? So yeah. it, it helps. So I think all our, our all our boys' coaches play defence. So I think Elvin played and Mary Washington. He was a left-back. Uh, the news I played with him in PDL somewhere. Uh, yeah. And he played at the back. <laughs> you got Matt Rowe. Yeah. I think Joe and me, the only ones who didn't play centre-back. <laughs> so. That's, uh, I, I thought you mentioned a couple of good things there, talking about the character of the defense and a, a full 90 mindset, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. My assistant and I were talking about kind of, you know, secondary characteristics when you're recruiting and we we're going by position because I think it could be different per position. And when I got to center backs, one of the first things that I mentioned was I want my center backs to be 4.0 GPA kids. And it, just compare it to a forward, you know, 4.0 GPA. And I said, I want this kid to try to be a perfect score type kid, which you have to be. I mean, if you're a center back and you're throwing mistakes in every game, well, those are goals, you know, like or they're leading to really dangerous chances. And I'm actually less inclined to need a 4.0 as a forward. I just need him to be able to knock a test out of the park every once in a while. You know, when that, when that ball's in the right spot, can you score the goal? He doesn't need to be perfect for 90. He needs to be great in small spots. And I would, of course, love him to be perfect for 90. But uh, I thought I thought you really hit the nail on the head there. And, uh, you know, it's 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 refreshing. It really is. I mean, when I think of club soccer, I love the model. I love that you guys are year-round. I love that you get to be with these boys all the time. And I compare it to college. My guys checked in. Division three is similar. I mean, D1's a little bit earlier. But my guys checked in August 15th, and I need to start winning games 15 days later. And some of these kids, you know, I brought in 10 new kids this year. I mean, that how are they college-ready athletes in 10 days or 15 days? It's just a lot to ask. And if you had a lot of turnover the year, like the year before we, we graduated, pretty much two classes, uh, a bunch of fifth years, and my fourth-year guys didn't come back for fifth years um, because of all the COVID craziness. And so I lost about 20 kids, brought in 10 to replace them. That's a 30-person turnover, and I have two weeks to start winning games. And these games matter for me getting into the tournament or not in November. And so it's such a different animal comparing college coaching and you know the, the pathway as it is to club. I mean, you guys have a full year with these kids. It's a great – I mean, I love the model. It's uh, I, We were just doing the math. In two and a half months, we're either in the playoffs or not. And if we're not in the playoffs, I don't see my kids again outside of our, you know, our 24-day spring season. I don't see them again until August for competitive matches again. And that's just – it's just such a different animal. That's why you see in the college game it's a much more direct game, much more rah-rah, much more get after it. And Because I only have 15 days to prepare. You know, it's just such a different animal. And um, it's 
it is refreshing to hear the way you guys are able to build and talk about it and throughout the year. And uh, I, I love it. I, you know, it's starting to make me miss coaching club soccer a little bit here. So well, I don't know if I'm missing it too much. Parent emails and then. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. So actually, Matt, um, talk about kind of the role of the parent and how you. I mean, you develop parents as much as you develop kids, you know, with your culture and um, and just talk about, you know, how you're mindful of, of their investment in it and um, what's reasonable of them. I, mean, to- I think being realistic with the parents, right, is is the number one priority. So, again, I, I would say, look, obviously you, you, you have stages of, I don't know, stages of parenting is the right word, uh, but, you know, you you if it's your first child, right, your eldest child, you maybe didn't play sport, uh, you know, the game at a weekend is everything, right? So in the first stages, hey, look, it doesn't matter if we win at eight, right? It doesn't matter uh, if your son's the best player or your daughter's the best player. So it's obviously teaching that side, okay, well, here's what's important. So this is the framework of the club, buy into it, uh, because obviously we have a good track work record of developing players. I guess as you get to the VDA level, it really starts becoming, I think most of our parents are not necessarily concerned about winning. Again, I don't, I don't, obviously, everyone wants to win. So I, never, I don't like not using that word in, in youth football. You know, winning is part of what we're doing. So, But I think the priority starts to shift towards their child, right? How does my son get to the next level? How does my daughter get to the next level? And obviously, the team is a vehicle of that. So... You know, we need to make sure that we're developing lots of good players so the uh, team can perform. Uh, so what we started to start educating them on is, okay, well, this is what you expect. And what we try to do is instead of pushing them away, you know, Matt, I was, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, I'm just covering a few sessions for them because they have parent meetings. Just getting them in together. So here's the expectations for the season. This is the reality of this group, this is what they can do if everyone's brought in. And then just managing the individual parents. You know, we do individual development plans here, which gives us the opportunity to talk to the parents as well. Uh, so we're talking as a group, but as an individual. Uh, but I would say that the toughest part is on the college recruitment side, right? That's where it really starts to kick in. Uh, again, there's sort of a tough, there's some terrible things happening with parents. I'll be, be clear, you know. But the majority of, I always say the majority of them, they've got their kids' best interest at heart. As long as we communicate well, you know, 95% of them are going to be happy or, or at least understanding and support the process. Obviously, when you get to that 16, 17, 19 age group, and obviously they want their kids, like any, I have three kids, you know, you want them to do well, uh, but you got to have reality. I mean, <laughs> Not everyone is going to go to the top schools. In fact, probably no one's going to the top schools, right? You know, it's it's, it's one one in a million almost. I don't know not the statistics. I might be I might be right. It might be one in a million is going to go to your top school. Mm-hmm. But they, what an opportunity to go play football, soccer for four years. So go find a school right for you. That's the difficultest conversation. You obviously, know, Matt, Mikey as our directors, they're having them conversations. Obviously, when I've been in that role, that's that's not easy. So 
that education starts 15, 16, even before that, 14, 15, 16. You got to you got to know where you're at. And again, I used this a couple, couple of weeks ago in a club meeting. Where where are you? Are you 100% in? Are you 75% in? Are you 50% in? Are you 25% in? And all that percentages are fine, right? Don't expect to be a, a top school, whatever division it is, if you're only 50% in, even 75% in, right? So, again, I think that's always a good framework for the parent as well because you know if your kid's 100% in. And if your kid's not 100% in and you're doing a lot for them, it ain't going to end up well somewhere, right? They're going to go to college, they're going to fail because they can't do it on their own. Uh, so again, it's just open conversations. Again, it's not, we don't, I don't like the word parent education, right? Because I mean, we use that word, but again, they're just people, right? Just helping them through the process uh, of, of them trying to do the do right for their child, you know? And then I think if you look at it from that perspective, most of your conversations are going to be positive ones. Even if, you know, we said it's crazy parents, but even with them, you find some common ground because again, they are trying to help. Just sometimes yeah. go the wrong way about it. Uh, so yeah, educating them to a point that they can support the process, then helping them see what the pathway is for their kids. And again, look, I will say this: I feel like we'll never do enough for some people. Right? We we can do everything, and we'll never be enough. And that's in every walk of life. Uh, so we tell our coaches, "Hey, look." As long as you're putting it all in, we, we've always got your back. You know, me and Quan, when someone complains about the program or complains about the coach, you know, we, we know the work they put in and we know what we're trying to accomplish. And we, we support our guys so they can do a good job. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with one word. You said the word reality. You know, it's uh, at the end of the day, if you're telling them, your like the honest truth that you can give them and you're of course you have relationships with college coaches and you're getting feedback and they're going to find out the truth one way or the other so you can either tell them on the front end tell them this is where we're at this is what i'm hearing these are the schools that seem to be interested in you or you could fudge which i've unfortunately seen some programs do where they'll say no no this kid needs to do this. You're better than that. And then, you know, they automatically just eliminate anything under that. And uh, it's, it's a frustrating thing. And, you know, as far as the parents go, unless they're, uh, you know, in the know, I mean, most parents aren't, most parents are like, this is my first kid going to school, or this is my first kid playing sports. We didn't, you know, I've had so many moms and dads in here, like, we don't know what's going on. We didn't play college athletics. And, you know, so that's where, you know, guys like you come in where you have to tell them, like, this is exactly what's going on. This is exactly what I'm hearing. Otherwise, they're going to find out the hard way. And that's where you get in trouble. That's where you might have led them down a different path, which is, you know, I know you guys don't do. You guys do a great job with that. And because parents only see one thing they go, oh, well, little Johnny's one of the best players on one of the best teams. So Clemson, Duke, UVA. I mean, let's start with those schools and we'll work our way from there. And so. Of course, that's nowhere near what the process is like. That's nowhere near reality. And so, you know, lots of education, lots of these are the different types of scenarios. I mean, that's massive for you. And you could absolutely, on my end, tell a huge difference. A kid that has come into my office that has heard the right things from the people he trusts because he, he can't hear it from me and he doesn't want to hear it from mom and dad. So to hear it from you, to hear it from Quan, to hear it from Matt Rao and to know like, hey, this is what I'm being told. They're talking directly to head coaches this is where I'm at. This is what I see. And this is what the college landscape looks for me. 
I can tell a difference when that kid's in my office and I'm talking to him. And that's uh, super appreciative. I mean, and the process has to start when they're 15 years old. I mean, this is kind of where you're trending. We're going to start watching you at 16. You know, even some of the, old, you know, the top, top D1s are watching you at 15. So you probably need to have a good foundation by then anyway. So we're on the college coach side, super appreciative of that education that you're giving the kids and these parents. I also think there's a misconception in our role, right, with the parents that we're like agents. Like yeah. We can pick a phone up and we can get their kid into a school, right? You get that? We, we know all the all the schools. We have good relationships with them. Uh, and, you know, parents are like, well, why can't you just call them? And, and that's where the reality is. Hey, look, this is how you got to college. One, you do all the right things in terms of communication. Two, you actually have to play well when they're there. It's such a small detail, right? Right. Uh, it's the most important and you know you may only have one window of opportunity to show that coach how good you are and again look in an ideal world college coaches can come to 20 games right but it's not the reality right it's it's mm-hmm. they get 30 minutes you've got to make an impact in 30 minutes and if you don't do that you know that 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 might be your one shot so again we, we have to try and explain that to the parents a lot is that they have to play well too. Like yeah. it, it, there's pressure. That is pressure, and, and there's no getting away from that pressure. And that, that's your decision you're making, right? I want to go play for a, a top school and again. When I mean top school, it could be any of the divisions. I just want to be clear with that. Uh, you got to play well, <laughs> so mm-hmm. deal with that pressure. Right. Uh, and obviously, that's the difference, right? Even in my career, the best players they just dealt with pressure. It was just playing another game, right? So, again, we're we're trying to we don't want to underestimate uh, pressure, but also give them the reality of okay, you got to do it. So that that's a big one. I think that we're doing a better job with as we progress as a club is just the the reality of and it is the individual, mm-hmm. it is individual again, and also what the clubs sell. And I'd, I'd like to think we don't do this. Uh, if I'm wrong, correct me. <laughs> We're not going, we're going to get you into college. No, no, we, we have a pathway to college. There's a difference. We're not, right. we're not saying we're just going to pick up the phone and someone's going to take it. No, no, we, we've had a pedigree or we've had a tradition of sending players, which really should be the criteria of, of, of a good soccer club or a good development platform. Is okay, X amount of players have, have progressed through our ranks and Ideally, again, in, in a perfect world for us, is they started at six years old with a club. And we just had a girl go to Florida State. She was with the program at six years old. You know, there, there's nothing better than that. It's, it's one of the best things. And again, we've got boys in this 06 group. And there's boys who obviously progressed already to college. But, you know, they, some of these boys have been with us since the start of VDA. So, and that, that, that really is the joy for us, is bring our own players through and. You know, what what makes you get up in the morning is I'm out there with the and then I still go to six and seven year old sessions and I'm coaching them like under ninety boys sometimes because <laughs> we 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 want them to get there and again like I said we talked about it a lot but creating that platform will just make it so much easier for us but it also makes it much easier for the college coaches that players have gone through a process so yeah it's a uh, I love the college side of it. I think it's great. You know, then obviously it's offered a lot for me. Uh, I think it offers so much for so many kids to continue to play. Uh, so, 
you know, we're 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 trying to do our best to support the players, give them reality to it. But the biggest one for us is just don't miss the opportunity. And again, and obviously you've grew up in this area, Justin. Obviously, we have a large Hispanic population, so we're trying to do a better job of educating the parents early on that mm-hmm. this is a pathway to continue to play soccer because obviously uh, culturally they want to be professional. So DC United is the only option. Uh, you know, now we've got kids, uh, probably our first generation of players coming through now that have had education from us uh, that are now got Andreas Rodriguez playing for VCU, right? Uh, yeah. you know, we we realised with our 01, 02 age groups that a lot of kids were just not progressing out of them ages. And a lot of the ones as well, they need to go play professional. It's professional or nothing. Our 03, 04, 05, 06 groups coming through, obviously a large, a very diverse group. They're going to go to college with good grades because we've pushed it from an early age group. Uh, so again, we're excited for that on the boys' side. Uh, you know, obviously that's something that deliberately we did five years ago. So well, we've got to get in earlier with making sure that your GPA is good, making sure that your attendance record at school is good. And again, that's regardless of ethnicity. Sorry, ethnicity is that the right word? Uh, we're making sure we're doing that at a young age group too, because obviously without the grades, without the attendance, you know, you can't go on to college. So. Uh, yeah, we're we're actually really excited about that uh, with the next groups coming through. Yeah, I mean that's that's of course massive. I mean, uh, obviously we're we're recruiting good soccer players, but I, I have to graduate them too. You yeah. know, I mean that's such a huge thing. I mean they talk about retention rate and graduation rate at good schools, and that's uh, maybe not as important as you know trying to hoist a big national championship banner, but it's it's right there, and uh, you know, so that's that's a critical thing, and. Uh, the, one of the bigger things I'm running into now is, as you know, college is getting very expensive now. And, uh, you know, are you guys having conversations with these kids on scholarships? And I mean, there's so much, there's billions of dollars not used yeah. in scholarship every single year that have nothing to do with a merit-based or an athletic scholarship from the, from the university. I mean, are, are there, you know, I, just curious, like you know, where where is that information coming from to these kids? Are they mainly getting it from their guidance counselors, or is that something that you guys have started diving into because it's it's starting to turn into an issue? It's a, it's a, it's a good point. That I mean, is what I'd say. I mean, I, obviously, the, my experience with guidance counselors, uh, and this is why I talked about obviously just changing our culture with the Hispanic parents specifically. Like educating them on and there's a pathway is I went into some of these schools with some of these kids and I was like look this kid has potential and obviously these kids were at the point where they needed some special help to to really you know extra assignments whatever to get their GPAs up uh, so maybe it was just a losing battle and then, you know some of these diet cancers are telling me what they might need to be a pro instead of go to college right uh, so my experience with the school system wasn't great when it came to uh, right. going in. To, I went into Hill and I went to Forest Park. I met with all of these early on, trying to change our way of getting kids. But you know what I would say is what we tried to do with our relationship with college coaches: be very honest early on with where these kids are financially. Sure. Uh, so if there's anything that we can do to support them, uh, to whether it's a language barrier, whether it's, you know, ability to use the, the, the computers, et cetera, communication, 
that we're supporting that. But I, what I would say is probably what you just mentioned now might be going back to Matt Rowe and saying, hey, what can we do extra to, to yeah. help these kids? Because again, yeah, it's a large part of it. And, and again, that's the unfortunate side of college soccer is obviously you've got to pay for an education. Like, you know, I was fortunate. I came over here on a full scholarship. So it wasn't until I got married and my wife's got, got debt. I'm going, well, why did you do that? Right. <laughs> why did you take all that on? Now, I'm, now I've got that, you know, so, uh, you know, obviously we, we want to help support whatever yeah. we can. So I think it's a, it's a great question, probably a, an action plan for us to look through. Great. Yeah, um, Matt, kind of to wrap it up, um, when you're thinking about the kids that have come through your program and have done, you know, have gone on to the next level, what have been some of the common characteristics or attributes that they've had? and you know, talk about their work ethic and the extra kind of differentiating things that they did that helped them, you know, move on and continue well, their careers. Well, I'm going to use an example of a player because I, I, I would say he's the best captain that ever played for VDA. So it was a, a lad called Kevin Ramos. Uh, he went to OD, ODU. Unfortunately, he was like, just had terrible injuries, terrible luck, like, uh, but he stayed through four years, uh, when he was at the club, this kid, he was working to pay, to play, right? So in terms of character and desire, uh, we always talk about this for the players. He was sacrificing everything just to be at training, right? Not not, not, not football, just looking after himself, paying for himself to get there. He was working for the club, coaching. He did everything possible. In terms of character on the pitch, he was, I, call, I always say, the best captain. Right? Just leadership, uh, his ability to communicate with players, coaches, respectful off the pitch, ability to hold a conversation. And so when he went through the college process, he was talking to the coaches, him, not his parents, him. He was communicating with them and he had more challenges than anyone else. Uh, so when we look at what does a player need to be in our program, they need to be Kevin Ramos. And again, he went to college and now he's coming out of it. You know, he still comes back, helps the club. He's, he started at Peter Versailles, so Peter Versailles player comes out, coaches, uh, he calls for advice. Uh, he still has a, a growth mindset. He wants to learn and improve. And, and obviously, he's, he's taking them lessons into now workforce, right? And he's, he's going to end up with a successful career. So, you know, what, what does a kid need to be? What they need to be willing to sacrifice. They need to be willing to put in the effort. You know, they need to be able to listen, learn. And again, obviously, when you're dealing with 15, 16-year-old boys specifically, that's very challenging for them. You know, they're starting to get their own mind of how to do things. Uh, but, you know, that's the most important age group, 15, 16, going on to 17, is that you are you are still learning and improving and growing. Uh, and then finally, you're starting to take responsibility to, to communicate because, you know, any college coach you speak to, the players that make the biggest impact are players that can communicate, right? You have a conversation with them and it's not like talking to a child, it's, it's talking to a young adult. And the amount of times I've seen kids, our own kids talk to a college coach and their heads down or you know, we're like, no, 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 you don't do that. So we make a big deal again. I don't want to talk about what we do, but every player has to talk to the coaches when they come in. They have to shake hands off. We do less shaking hands now. This pumps. Look in the eye, uh, 
because again you, you, you're developing humans or developing people to go and be successful so kevin ramos you need to be kevin ramos that's my answer to that question <laughs> you know you ask anyone joe seuss uh kwan uh, anyone who's been involved with Kevin Ramos, they, we don't have anything else apart from good words to say about that kid. Uh, even ODU, and also I know Tennant well. I played with Tennant, another uh, character. He uh, <laughs> all, never had anything bad to say when he's gone through his injury issues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had a really tough time. He couldn't, he didn't, couldn't catch a break. But uh, yeah, that, that you got, you got to have that. You got to have lots of character, and you've got to be able to learn and be willing to sacrifice. It's interesting. You you listed a lot of characteristics that are uh, not very difficult to uh, perfect, but it seems like, you know, a lot of kids nowadays struggle with that. I mean, looking in your eyes, shaking your hands, you know, responding, being respectful. Those are all easy. Those are free. You know, there's really nothing involved there other than, you know, putting your best foot forward and being respectful to people that are, you know, like oh, older than you or, you know, even equals or below or younger, it doesn't matter. I mean, just doing the best you can at all walks of life. And that's, it, that's awesome. I remember that kid. And, um, you know, it's a, I would love to have had him myself though. That's a, those are definitely the kids that you remember forever. And that's a, that's an awesome, awesome way to describe him. Yep. Um, well, Matt, thank you so much. Um, I can see you doing a part two. You're, uh, you're interesting to talk to and, and your experiences are, are kind of exactly what, this format is for. So um, I really appreciate it. Um, you, Cheese, you got anything else? No, th thanks, Matt. Uh, I'm going to stick around and uh, I'm going to ask you a question or two about some players. So <laughs> I don't want that thing going on online. So. All right, here, let me, uh, let me hit stop. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Match Play. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so that I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. See you on the trail. Thank you.